Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey, everyone. This is Mark Treichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. Today, I'm excited to be here with Chris Tissue, who is the Chief Operating Officer at CU Collaborate. I also know that I think I saw in an email that you're also called the Head of Consulting for CU (laughs) Collaborate. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mark. Thanks so much for having me and wearing a few hats here at CU Collaborate, but excited to have the opportunity to talk with you today. Appreciate that. Very good. Yeah, very good. And today you and Sam had reached out. I know that you were involved in the recent public hearing on a proposed community charter, and we wanted to talk through that whole process. This was a rule that went into play when I was still at NCUA. And if I have it right, NCUA, unless they change the rules from when I was there, they will do these hearings on communities that have populations over $2.5 million dollars. And also the boundaries of the proposed community extend beyond a single political jurisdiction. So with that, Chris, if you want to maybe just prime the pump by talking a little bit about your take on this process, and then maybe we can get into some specifics about the the actual one that did occur earlier this year. Yeah, thanks for um Definitely a, a deep uh, subject matter here, but that is, you know, the nature of with flying colors, which I think we all love. So I'll try and keep approachable, but you hit the, the nail on the head in terms of what type of expansion uh, we're looking at. So this is really for community charters, federal community charters. You're exactly right. So this would be an institution, a credit union that is looking to expand their community boundaries, most often within a statistical area. And the population size is greater than two and a half million, which is the upper bound, the population that is considered to be what the NCUA now calls a presumptive community, looking at census data. So if you have a, you are a credit union, there's only so many statistical areas in the country that have that population size. You're looking at some of the biggest, most populous areas, metropolitan areas in the United States. If you want a credit union and still wants to serve people that our community lives, works, worships, conducts business in, buys a sandwich in, just kidding, that's not actually part of the language, but I see that boundary, then they have really a two-part process. The first is the narrative process, which we want to talk about a little. And that deviates from, again, what the NCO would determine as a presumptive community. And then the second piece, which you know was really the historic element of this, is that for the exceeding two and a half million in population, you have this open hearing, which had never been done before. Got it. And so presumptive, less than 2.5 million. I'll do some rough justice here. You might have to clean it up a little bit. So if it's less than 2.5 million, there's no need for there to be a narrative because NCOA is saying that size, we presume, is a community. You have to show that you can do it, that you can serve them. Is that a close yeah. explanation? Yeah. And, and I'll provide, I guess, a bit of a history lesson that I couldn't share in the history of it, but I think it's really interesting in terms of just like where the NCUA has gone, from my understanding, in terms of what is even a community at all, right? Like that is 
there's this concept of common interest and interaction, right? Like what binds people, what defines a common bond of individuals that is definable, right? And that's a pretty subjective thing. And it is my understanding that before the NCUA adopted what I think are really common sense, smart rules around what they call a presumptive community. Before that, a credit union essentially a very subjective, you had to tell a story, right? And that is the narrative story, right? And you probably, as you shaking your head, like know this better than I do, because I came along when we had the presumptive community, but you have to show that, you know, there's sharing public services, there are common like public goods that connect the different geographies. And it was really this subjective, difficult thing. We now have what are called presumptive communities and smartly the NCUA references really the federal experts here, which is the census department. And they lean on what, like, for, for a statistical area, which we're talking about now, it would be a contiguous portion of a statistical area that cannot see two and a half million in population. So those are largely going to be, again, your, your metropolitan areas, Washington, D.C., in this case, you know, the Miami Day, LA, New York. I mean, there's a ton of statistical areas. So that is one way where you don't have to tell that really verbose story about common interest and interaction, we can just use the census designation as the, the benchmark and move on to, as you said, the business and marketing plan, the ability and intent to serve. So one part is defining that it is a community. The next part is showing that you actually have the financial, physical service facility, the marketing plan, and all of the sort of good business practices that are going to allow you to effectively serve that market. While we're Got talking it. presumptive communities, I would just also imagine if you're not in a metropolitan area, if there's a rural district, which you might be familiar with as well. So that's a population under 1 million yeah. density under 100 people per square mile and can't go into states not contiguous to the one that you are headquartered in. So we're not going to talk about what's been up. I feel like it's worth mentioning if we're talking about presumptive communities. You got it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think back to the narratives. When I was in, so field membership used to be in the regions. I used to be a regional director and, yeah. and the, the packages would come up and it was a little bit like defining beauty. And it was a little bit, you know, I remember you know, references to the shopping centers and the hubs and the road systems and how they all interacted and, you know, sports yeah. teams and all that. So it was always an interesting, I like the number side of things that it's safe and sound. What's your capital? What's your delinquency? And those kind of things. And when those discussions would lead into the narrative, it would it wasn't necessarily my forte, but I had really good people at NCUA that worked on it. And so some of that's be being reborn here on the over 2.5 million in this particular instance. That's interesting. So and this was the first one. So and I'm thinking about and I'll throw some of these things out here to see if it's something that because I did not listen to what happened at the hearing, but I know part of that, I know there were some states that already had done that when we, this rule was put in place. There were states that would put these notices on these hearings or, or briefings. Part of it also is it gives people the opportunity to say, yeah, we think this is a good idea or a bad idea. And when I say people, uh, that includes organizations on the banking side of things, like the American bankers can say, no, we don't, you know, we think, let's say it was going to be 10 states, right? And it's 30 million people. They could come and they could say, this is why we don't think it's a community and this is why we have concerns with it, which actually is a form of due process that, right. that allows those people to be heard. So if, there, if anything I said there, as we start getting into the hearing that you participated in, feel free to, to jump on that. But so, so you collaborate, is hired by a credit union. It's going to be over 2.5 million 
and you know that you start needing to go down this path. So maybe you could explain the process of that. Sure. Yeah. Generally speaking, field and membership and chartering, again, it goes, we should always remember that the federal charter competes with the state charters, right? And, and you alluded to that. There, that is a benefit of all credit unions, uh, or at least those credit unions that reside in states have a state charter, right? which is not all 50 of them. But yeah, essentially, for you know specific credit unions, and again, I'm going to highlight what there are only so many statistical areas in the country that actually have more than two and a half million people in population. So, you know, we're really talking about the most dense populated metropolitan areas that this would even apply for. But you as a community charter, you may serve a single county, which is that single political jurisdiction that you mentioned. And maybe that entire county, like, let's, well, in this case, it's Miami-Dade. So this is Dade County Federal Credit Union champion this from an industry perspective and, and decided to pursue this route. Miami-Dade County is 2.6 million in population. So they're already starting off above what is allowed. And their desire was to expand it to Broward County, just to the north, which I believe has something like 0.8 million in population. They puts the resulting proposed field of membership at 6 million or something. So we're blowing the top off of that 2.5 million. Really, they had, if they want to stay federally chartered and you know, didn't really consider the, the Florida state charter, they can either go this route and expand you know, to another community, or many of them will consider a federal multiple common bond, just like going a completely different route. But they found federal credit union and really smartly wanted to continue to lean into the community charter. They are super accomplished, great financial performance. They're a successful CDFI. They serve the understand their low income doesn't mean they just have a great story. And so it just made a ton of sense for them to stay in the community charter route. The challenge is they are now going down, you know, a path that no one has ever done in, in terms of the open. There is that narrative approach, but sometimes the narrative approach is also used if you want to add a county outside of the statistical area. So many credit unions will often want to add a county that is adjacent uh, to the statistical area, and the narrative approach is still something that we see some folks wanting to do for that while keeping it under two and a half million. So the narrative right. is applicable for both. In this instance, they had the sort of like dual element of that narrative process, which as you can remember, or maybe have tried to block out, is really verbose and difficult to adjudicate and find evidence for and do a lot of research. And then I think, yeah, the open hearing route, which as you mentioned, is part of the, the kind of like due process aligned in the regulations. And, and I think the last thing I would say is it makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate that the NCUA has these sort of like, we know that not everything is going to fit into these nice census blocks. And if that's the case, there's still a path and we'll still consider these alternative options. It's just, you know, you have to do a little bit of extra work. Very good. That makes sense. As you're talking through this, in the background, we don't publish the video tied to these, but the background, that's Hollywood, Florida's beach behind me here, Chris, as we're talking. And so that is Broward. So I'm not there at the moment, but that's my residence. That's where my business is based. And so I'm, I'm expecting maybe I'll see some branches popping up because part of, I'm sure, what you had to talk about was how they're going to serve. And that usually includes we'll build X number of branches over a certain period of time or something along those lines. Yeah. So there's element of showing that there is a common interest and in interaction. You alluded to some of the categories. The NCUA doesn't say you have to stick to these. I think there's 13 different categories, central economic, um, shared public service, the sports teams and entertainment. You, know, you really find yourself describing an area and it's fun from that perspective. Like you yeah. get to jump. I've been to Miami and I've been to Fort Lauderdale. I've seen it, but it's fun to really dig deep into you know, from for our consultants and me in particular. It's 
scratches that curious itch and you, and you have to really describe an area in, in ways you never thought you would have to. But yeah, you know, you're working through those 13 categories and, and hopefully some others to show that there is that common interest in it, interaction. But that's only one piece of it is saying this is a, a legitimate community. The other piece, as you mentioned, is the marketing of the business plan. You have to show that you have an ability and intent to serve the area. You've got a fiscal infrastructure that provides access to everyone in the proposed community. You've got a marketing plan and, and budget, appropriate budget. People are seeing in the space, you're able to add new members. I think there is a safety and soundness thing. And the, you know, most field of memberships, it's a, a non-starter. If you're, uh, you know, Camel's three or worse, that you know, come back to us when you've got that. I know that's your specialty. So, uh, yeah, isn't the case, but it would put preclude operating. So, yeah, I think there is those components and then the open hearing piece as well. So that's really the scope of what the NCUA is looking at and really what the burden of the application is and what we work so closely with our clients on to develop. Got it. And then so at the hearing, presuming Martha Ninichuk from Oskui played a role in it and maybe some other staff from NCUA, could you describe who and maybe it was at the NCUA board table where that always where the NCUA board meets or how did that happen once you got into the building? Who was there at NCUA? Who participated from your side, the credit union side and anything along those lines? If the NCUA listens and I'm guessing they listen to, to your podcast, you know, thank you because this is really a collaborative effort. Like so many regulations, it was written at a very summary level. And now that someone wanted to do is like, okay, how is this functionally going to play out? So really appreciative to to the staff that care for the extra work and effort in terms of like putting all the procedure under it, which really was a a work in progress when they're doing anything for the first time. It makes sense. So yeah, I mean, ultimately it's 2023, so everything's virtual and this was no different. So even though they're what they were broadcasting from, I I believe the boardroom, Martha was overseeing it, but ultimately all the presenters were presenting virtually. The way that it is done is pretty democratic in that they release a notice to the Federal Register. Anyone that sees that notice, it's a first come, first serve. There is a one space reserved for the applicant, the credit union, to present on their case, which obviously should happen. Yeah. And then there are six other presenters. There's five that are first come, first serve. So whoever gets in line first gets to present. Um, obviously, it can't be six people from the credit unit. <laughs> but and then Cure also reserves the rights for one final one. There's not really super clear guidance on what be the criteria for who gets to make that. But I, I suspect it's to provide for a diversity of opinions. So, so that is essentially how you decided. And then, you know, presenters get up to 30 minutes. No one at the actual meeting took 30 minutes. I think everyone, their perspective is pretty tight in their comments. I, you know, it was overwhelmed, went really smoothly for the first of its kind sort of process. So again, to care for that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I'm glad it went well. And then, so in this particular instance, was there anybody from the banking side that did chime in or was there crickets from the banking side? Yeah. Surprisingly, who my no, I mean, there was no one at the no one here. presented. Yeah. Did anybody no present? Presented. That was fortunately everyone that presented was in favor of the proposed expansion. I mean, really, the my understanding too is the scope of the meeting is is about the common interested in interaction. Is this actually a community or not? There is understandably, and I think correctly, there is no airing of the credit unions' business and marketing plan, which I think would be right. Like IE and and so that, the scope makes a lot of sense to me. Like we are focused on is this actually a community? a common bond. And so that that is also an important thing to remember. You know. But theoretically, and they're discussing this, it's an open hearing. You could have, you know, John from down the street 
present as long as he gets first in line about how much he likes his dog and how great his dog is. And that is democracy, I guess. But yeah, of course, John from down the street isn't reading the SPR or the, I'm sorry, the federal regulations looking for this type of thing. So everybody that presented was really subject matter expertise within different domains and I think provided a pretty interesting diversity of perspectives on the proposed community. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it makes sense. It's focused on is it a community because it, it really is what does the federal credit union allow a membership to be and right. getting to the bottom of that and does what's been prevented, presented meet legal hurdle, which is really the intent of the whole process. Exactly. So fortunately, everyone kept it pretty on topic also. Very good. So you go through the process of getting ready, do your presentation. Credit Union has a presentation. NCUA might ask some questions and then boom, the hearing is done. How, so then from that point, is it, what's the procedures there? Is it NCUA says they'll get back to you when they're ready? They'll say they'll get back to you if they have any questions or what did you learn from the process as it relates to the steps after hearing? Yeah, I know it's a good question. You know, there really isn't any Q&A. Yeah, and I think again that's inappropriate. You know, how would you keep that unbiased across the different presenters? It's very interesting from that perspective. It's just one after another, prepare the marks. I may be misremembering the exact language, but I think here I think it back to within thirty days. So you know, about thirty days later, there is ultimately their decision. It's there already. It's not just the open hearing piece of it, but it's also the application itself, their understanding, and then the business and marketing plan. So there, you know, even though the hearing is one piece of this, I don't think they would or could say, "Oh, it's twenty percent hearing and thirty percent this." You know, they're sure. taking what they. I think they use totality of circumstances a lot, and then and this to me sits under an umbrella to make their final recommendation. So I, I want to say, yeah, it was, that was it. And thirty-eight. Some odd days later, the credit union received their approval letter and obviously was, you know, happy with the results and excited about getting to work, actually. And yeah. uh, hopefully serving you at Hollywood Beach up there. But but yeah, that's all the process did after the, the open year piece. Okay. That, yeah. And, and that's just comparing and contrasting. If something gets on the agenda for the NCAA board to vote on it, that's because the discussions held at the executive level and at the board assistant level implies that we're, we think we got two votes. So right. taking that and looking at it relative to this, Cure is going to start taking the time of the credit union and their own staff time when they get down to that. Okay, is it a community part? The other pieces are probably all checked if they're actually going to have the hearing, which is why it allows them to say, yeah, we can get back to you in 30 days. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really great observation and sort of question there is to read the regulations. One of the interesting things that we were kind of sussing out side by side with NCUA, like, okay, what does the regulation say? And interestingly, the regulation doesn't say anything about a pre-approval or we think this is good, but there is a ton of work and effort that goes into this open hearing, right? Like any good, well-run meeting, not to mention getting something at the Federal Register. So I would can never speak for the NCUA, but we can, you know, you're the interpreter and I can try and interpret. But I think if I were to just provide my personal perspective on it, I would say that they're looking for a complete application, right? They're not going to put just something that was slapped together out there and then waste all their staff's time and coordination. Yeah. So I think there is an element of uh, quality control, quality assurance, and thinking that this has like a legitimate chance and we're going to put it through that. But again, the regulations really say that a hearing kind of happens regardless of where their personal or where they believe is approvable or not. And then I think okay. 
ultimately where they would hang their hands in reality. I don't think they're going to waste a bunch of time and resources with applications that just don't have a chance. Yeah, I think the trick there for them is deferral, right? If you haven't, comparing it to the NFL, if, if you haven't got into the playoffs and then won your three playoff games, you can't go to the Super Bowl, right? Well, if you haven't proved that you can you know, serve the community, that you're going to build enough branches, that you have the marketing ability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they will keep pushing it to the credit union saying, you answered the five questions, but because of those five, the answers to those five questions, we now have three more questions, which is gets to the totality of the circumstances. But they'll make sure that while there will ultimately be a hearing, the, the one path that never leads to a hearing is if they defer and keep having to ask questions about the quality of the package that has been put forward. So that means you guys put together a good package. The credit union put a good package so that you could even get the audience to have that hearing, which is, and of course, obviously the results were good. So the credit union's got to be thrilled. CU Collaborate's got to be thrilled. Has, and I guess there's a question here somewhere. So did this lead to, so this is the first one, and probably there's other big credit unions that might be contemplating it relative to that. Are there things, not that you can reveal where things are going, but do you anticipate being for NCUA in the next couple of years on your second go-round with this? I would bet on it. Yeah. I mean, again, we're talking about not a whole lot of very populous statistics, you know, like three, there's not a ton of credit unions who are really, I mean, we know of the ones that we think. Know who they are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a very short list. There's only so many credit unions that operate in the biggest metropolitan areas in the United States. And of those, how many are actually a community and want to remain a community or have gone state charter, which is as much, you know, many state charters will do whatever, essentially, from a field of membership perspective. That is their sort of their uh, competitive advantage. So I think... Yeah, there have been a lot of credit unions set that archetype that were probably paying attention. Even now know that it's, which is good, it's a thing that can be done. And there's a process for that. And, you know, it's just, again, like that's off to the big county federal credit union for being the trailblazer and really jumping into the deep end. Because I think a lot yeah. of folks, especially when you look at their, you know, regulatory environment, let's look at precedent. Let's look at what, what's been done. You know, maybe chase something isn't defined. Super clear. Sure. No, that's great that they did that. It's like being a beta tester on new software, right? You, you got it. You want to get the kinks worked out, but they helped work the kinks out and they won. They got what they were asking for. So that that's kudos to them. Kudos to you and see you collaborate. So Chris, are there any other thoughts relative to the process you think we should chat through here that the listeners might be interested in hearing as it relates to the process of these hearings? No, I mean, I think I mean, thanks for the good interview. Yeah, you covered it. I think really like the the pertinent parts of it. Yeah, I think from my perspective, the takeaway is if you operate in a huge metropolitan area of Los Angeles, Houston, you know, obviously Miami, New York City, Boston, you know, all of those really large fiscal areas, and you really want to retain your community charter and you're maxed out. No, you're not that maxed out. And it's a conversation. I think. The other um, thing that we talked about a lot are narrative, that research project right around the common interest and interaction. I think there's a preliminary step before you say, I'm going to go down this path of doing a little bit of research and due diligence to see if there's an argument to be made there. There may not be, depending on what the different counties are that you might want to have beyond what you have. So I think the only other piece, you know, I would advise any other credit union that's looking at this is like, before you fully commit and know that it's a thing, do maybe like a preliminary sort of like kick the tires research. Is, is the central economic hub there? Do they have a sports team that actually, you know, gets people excited and pulls from all the different areas? And then you mentioned data. You know, data 
is if you look at the NCUA's guidelines for the narrative application, is it there, right? Because the NCUA is always going to put that top, you know, most persuasive along all the categories. Uh, and sometimes, you know, even the data might be there, but it might not be publicly available. You know, colleges and universities, can we get attendance data out of them from where they're pulling their student body? I mean, that kind of like deep analysis, it can be a little bit frustrating because you feel like the argument is there, but the data is not. And so sometimes... Yeah. A little bit of health prevention is worth a pound of care. And so before I would send any credit unit down that path, I would encourage them just the, you know, preliminary sort of research just to see if, you know, we're checking a lot of those boxes and we think there's a chance. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really the only other piece I would mention, but no, um, yeah, super excited with the result. It was a labor of love. It was, you know, a lot of work and a project that takes longer than your standards. One additional right. talent right. we'd be on, but certainly I think worthwhile to show the industry that it's possible and that there is a path for, you know, these types of credit unions. Very good. Well, Chris, one totally off the wall question it relates to a LinkedIn conversation you and I had last summer. I posted a bunch of books that I was reading. I like autobiographies and I had a couple of them that were related to the band Genesis, one of which was Phil Collins, I'm Not Dead Yet. And you, you had recommended one to me, but I'm starting to get into the habit of asking guests what their first concert was, what their last concert was, and what their favorite or best concert was. So what are your thoughts on the concert front? Yeah, no, I love that. It's really hard, but I am, I love live music. I love music. I think the book that I recommended was Scar Tissue, which is Anthony Kiedis. He's the lead singer of, of Red Hot Chili Peppers. I read his book. I also read a piece, Richard Swan, which was outrageous. I mean, you know, you want to read some interesting autobiographies, you know, right. rock and roll is, is the place. That's where you go. Yeah, I guess, and, and I'll leave it at that. Like, I was a child influence. You know, I, I feel like my musical taste of not evolved past 90, the 90s and really yeah. grunge rock, alternative rock. So, yeah, I didn't get to see Red Hot Chili Peppers until I was here in D.C. in my 20s. You know, they'd been around for decades at that point, and that was always really like a bucket list. There's, you know, a few musicians that unfortunately passed away in the 90s. Would have loved to see, like, Sublime, but they were just super interesting. But Brad Noel, like so many others, succumbed to addiction. But yeah, Red Hot Chili Peppers is one of the best. Also, weirdly niche, but I'm from Pittsburgh and there's a band called Rusted Root and they're also oh, from right, Pittsburgh. Yeah. I've heard of them. Yeah, I don't know, it's like a more ethereal, but like they were an awesome show at 9.30. There was no one there, which I kind of love. You know, normally 9.30 club in DC is packed and you can't move. And so that was like just an element. I was also dating my wife at the time. First concert was the Clarks in Pittsburgh. They're a Pittsburgh band, so pretty niche. Also no more in the room. Most recently, I saw a band called The Revivalists, which I really enjoyed. They're yeah, rock, but a lot of musicians here at the Anthem in D.C., and it was a good show. It's a new venue. I love the Anthem. I, yeah, I right. love the Anthem. I know that yeah. there's a couple of Revivalist songs I know I've got in my playlist. I can't remember what they might be, but... How about yeah, the night, well, So, me, so... My favorite was I saw Genesis play the last two concerts of their last Domino tour two years ago, and they played, it was in Boston, which is, that's where they first ever played when they came to the U.S., so they closed it there. It was fabulous. Phil Collins didn't, had to sit down, and he's not in good health, but it was absolutely fabulous. First concert alone, without my parents, was Cheap Trick, the Budokan. 
tour, but I did see Sonny and Cher with my parents at the Minnesota State Fair. Nice. And and the last concert was Duran with Warm Up by Chic and Bastille from D.C. Yeah, that was, a, and Chic with Niles Rogers was one of those delights where you just, you show up and you know you had a couple of Chic songs, but then Niles Rogers produced and wrote a lot of songs for David Bowie, Madonna, and many others. So they played hits from that, which was like, was one of those, wow, I didn't expect that to be as good as Duran, and it actually was better than Duran, who were also good. So Yeah, that's awesome. I'm jealous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, and, and my favorite surprise ever was we went to see 10,000 Maniacs back in the 80s, a very small venue. And like you said, when the places are small, it's a little bit more intimate. And warm-up was Tracy Chapman. And her album had just come out. I knew Fast Cars, her first album, came yeah. out, sat on a stool with a guitar, it just blew us away. We could have, we didn't even have to stay and see 10,000 Maniacs. We did, and they were yeah. good, but Tracy Chapman just blew our minds that night. So, anyway. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, wildlife music. I wish I could see more of it. Got to see young children. Oh, so, yeah. Maybe Sarah's not always available, but I do live vicariously through here. Like the Postman. Yeah, I love the, the buy the ticket thing. That's yeah, so buy the tickets. You don't know yeah. when they'll be gone. That's for sure. So, Chris, back to business here. If someone is listening yeah. to this and they'd like to reach out and they're in one of those big statistical areas or field of membership wise, they want to, you know, they're a state charter that wants to convert. They're a federal charter who wants to expand. If they were wanting to reach out and find you and talk to you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Sure, yeah. I guess our website is, is definitely the easiest. Multiple pass there, cucollaborate.com. And then I would also just mention if, if folks are interested in the case study, we have the case study up on our website for the Dade County expansion as well as some others. So yeah, we just redid our website. We're excited about it. Looks like uh, we brought it into the 2023. So yeah, cucollaborate.com. If you want to chat with us, there's even a little chat button at the right. Lots of pass. That's great. And I will put a link to the white paper in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. Of course. And educating us on how this process works. Uh, thank you, Mark. Appreciate the opportunity. You got it. And listeners, this is, I appreciate you listening. I hope you listen again soon. This is Mark Trichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktrichel.com. 